If you have your Bible, you can open with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. So as you turn to this chapter in these verses 18 through 22, you may very well likely be thinking, what kind of poor planning was it to invite all of these families here and to preach a text that's going to say, when a, a son says, I need to go bury my dad, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. So... I do a lot of unwise things, but I promise I'm not that guy who said, I think this is what we should do this morning. <laughs> no, it's, it was just what comes next in the text. So if you, a lot of other people here can vouch that we've been going through Matthew and this just happened to be next. And so I probably should have changed the topic, but I didn't. We're just moving right along. So we had our sermon preaching series planned before this event. And at the same time, without sounding like I'm trying to be Mr. Hardcore Guy, it's kind of like Jesus to when he has a big crowd to seemingly want to do something that runs a lot of them off. If you've read through the Gospels, whenever it seems like he's gaining a lot of popular traction, he wants to really bring home what it means to be his disciple. And so I hope that we'll hear this today, not as uh, some sort of irrational challenge, though it may feel like that, but as an invitation from our good King, Jesus, into a life, as we see in Matthew, of flourishing through self-denial. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. It's the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray. Father, we need your help as always, to both understand Your Word and to apply it in our lives. We don't want to be mere hearers, but doers. So Holy Spirit, show us the way. Humble us before Your truth and help us to trust Your heart, God, in whatever You call us to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past year I found out that my uncle ordered a car with his phone. He just got on the app and picked out what he wanted and hit submit, credit card linked, car on the way. Customized. Probably many of us in here, if not before, but especially during this time of COVID, have learned to eat or order meals through apps. And we've always had drive throughs We've had this opportunity in our lives, most of it is it's just a given. We assume that we can have life customized. We can all have it our way. Burger King or somebody says that. And as a picky person, I really like that. I like that I can say, this is how I want my hamburger. I don't like it when I go to the, a fancy restaurant one time in Memphis and I ask if one thing can be taken off and the chef refuses to do that. Right? It's his signature piece. You can't take off whatever kind of uh, 
mustard that was. I'm still a little upset over that. We, we all like to be able to give qualifications in regards to our decisions and our experiences in life. We want to do things, but we want to be able to say, I'll do it if, or I'll do it, but, or I'll do it if, if there's an and. We like ifs, ands, and buts, and we need to be careful this morning. There are a lot of really good if, ands, and buts. A lot of our world would be better if we knew how to use those words, if, ands, and buts, especially the ands. So don't get me wrong. Sometimes it can be beautifully biblical to have an if, an and, and a but. Sometimes a balanced or middle way can be the way. But at the foundation of the heart of following Jesus is not first an if, and, or a but. It's simply, follow me. It's follow me. But with on all of us in this room this morning, I'm sure we are people who are tempted to want to be disciples who get to offer our qualifications for what that journey is going to look like. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you if. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you, but. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you if I get my and. As a church, we, we, have, we have begun our journey and continue it with a statement we like to use a lot. We say, we would like for, to think of our life together as being more intentional than additional. That is, instead of adding a lot of new programs and, and schedule things for your life, what if it was just that we took what we're already doing, but then lived that out with gospel intentionality? And we still believe that and we still say it. But the reality is, when you get into this journey of following Jesus, if there's going to be any type of community life of discipleship, it's just not always that easy. And we can hear that in a wrong way that says, I still do whatever I want. I set my agenda for life. And Jesus, you follow me. Here's where I'm going in my life, Jesus. Follow me. Instead of Jesus saying, here's where I'm going, you follow me. We do this out of a lot of good intentions too. And it's complicated. We're not going to answer this all this morning. My goodness, who would ever think that somebody especially like me could answer all the questions in 30 to 45 minutes? But anyway, but let's start the conversation. We do this out of a lot of good intentions. We really fear legalism. And rightfully so. We fear spiritual abuse. That is where somebody like me tells you, if you don't do exactly what I say, then you're not following Jesus. We, we rightfully fear such things. But if we're not care, we will follow Jesus in such a way that really invites us into no real sacrifice into our lives. And we've so qualified Jesus on the basis of our fears that we have re removed all faith from our journey. We fear so deeply not respecting true mental health issues. We say things like that if you're not good and healthy, you will be no good and of no real help to other people. We believe that. 
But sometimes we, if we're not careful, we will be cloudy on what is good beyond how we might feel in any current emotional state defined by our own admitted lack of connection to reality. As a church that has set itself up to love the broken, the burnout, and the bored and help them to know who Jesus really is, we really care about these things. And yet we have to see that as we talk about these things and seek to live faithfully in light of them in love and grace and peace, that we live in the day of where maybe the greatest offense is an evangelism, a sharing of the gospel, and a calling to follow a Jesus who is bigger than our own personal preferences and prerogatives. That He calls us to an external and objective path that is not easy for any of us. And on a day of baby dedications of all days to be in this text, we fear heaping burdens on parents' backs. We're already doing all they can, right? To just get some sleep. <laughs> to just keep this baby alive. I remember when we had our first baby and they're sending us home from the hospital like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, and I may be weird, like learning to use a debit card. That's a whole other story. But anyway, but it's like, y'all are going to let us take this home? Do you know me? Do you know that I didn't use sheets in college? And you're going to let me keep a, a person alive? Feed it. Some of you with parents that are older, you're just doing your best. To, did, they, did we eat supper? I don't remember if we ate supper. We're just driving in circles. So we're situating this. We want to hear what this text says, but we realize... Jesus comes to us with words that are hard to hear. Because a have-it-your-way discipleship is not what Jesus does. It's not what our text is doing today. It's not what the Gospels are doing. It's not what we read through all of Scripture. It's there's all of these surprises, these turns, that call for a great faith to move us out of the, the cliched phrase that is still true, our comfort zones. But Jesus expects and empowers. We want to get there before we go. Jesus expects and empowers an unqualified, unlimited, unscripted, and unexpected discipleship. We'll touch on each of those as we go through here. But in unqualified, that is, you don't get to say, well, I'll do it with these qualifications. Unlimited, that is, you don't say, Jesus, well, I'll only go this far. Un unscripted. Jesus says, okay, here's your map, what the rest of your life's going to look like. Nope. And lastly, unexpected. He doesn't tell you what's going to be next. So how does He do this? Well, the first thing I think our text invites us to do this morning is some examination. We've got to be aware of what those qualifications we do have for discipleship are, because we all have them. You may not be aware of them, but I think Jesus here through this text is wanting us to be aware. The first thing we see here are the crowds. Notice back again in verse 18. He sees this crowd around Him and He give, gives orders to go to the other side. No doubt Jesus is doing this healing ministry in a predominantly uh, Israelite Jewish context. The other side, most people think, He's moving to this region of the Decapolis. We're going to see at the end of this chapter, it's where He uh, interacts with this demoniac. 
in the area of the Gerasenes. So Jesus is kind of like, again, He could stay here in the movement. He could stay here with the masses. But Jesus is, is staying on mission. He's willing to move beyond the comfort of the crowds. Then we see in verse 19 the scribe. So if Jesus not only wants us to be aware, where might I just be settling with the movement or the crowds? Now we have a scribe. Now you would think a scribe, this again, if you've been here with us in the Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus said that scribes and the Pharisees, they, they've missed it on what it means to understand who God is, what it means to have a righteousness of the kingdom. And so you would think this scribe's coming up to Jesus and Jesus would be, yes, just think. If we had this guy with these gifts and this knowledge converted, what good we could do. Maybe we need to create a customized plan for him. Maybe we just need to figure out how to make it work for him because he's so special and so important. And we don't know what this scribe did. We're not told. We're not told what any of these people do in this text, actually. It's kind of just raising these questions for us. But this scribe proclaims that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. But it seems here that Jesus kind of sniffs out that this scribe does not understand what he's being called to. It seems that maybe this scribe thinks that he can do this in his own strength. It's an interesting study to go through the Gospels and see Jesus is never impressed with our bold commitments about what we're going to do for him. Anytime anybody comes up to Jesus and says, I'm the world changer. I'm going to follow you. I'm the one. It, you'll just be surprised. Jesus isn't signing him up for his residency program. Jesus is challenging him. It's the people who come with nothing who are humble and just fade into the background of following him who we see ends up being the ones that more of that spotlight is flashed on. This scribe may very well be assuming on his own strength, I can do this, I'm a scribe. He may be assuming on his own script. Scribes would have knew this word disciple better than us. Within that culture of rabbis, it was, uh, this is where the word disciple comes from. He knows what it means to follow someone and to learn from them. So he may be thinking, I got the script, I know how this works. I got the strength, I got the script. And then based on what Jesus says, he may be assuming that there's going to be some level of safety attached to this. Oh, if I follow you, I'll be safe. If you're the king, and in my understanding of that, you're the one who always wins and who everybody likes, then we'll probably be rolling into town and, and you know, the Hilton will be opened up for us. Everybody will be feeding us. It's just going to be a, a great time. I'll get more respectability by following you. And then there's another disciple we see in verse 21 who says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, there's, there's lots of different interpretations on this. I want to briefly tell you a couple and then say, let's not miss the point. The first is most people think understanding Old Testament law and Jewish customs that if this father had like literally just died, that this disciple wouldn't be there if this was his concern. That Jewish funerals, these things took a lot of time. It wasn't like now, you know, nowadays it's getting where we try to squeeze this thing into a day, right? Like have the, have the viewing, have the funeral, 
eat, go home, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. That wasn't how they did it, though. This would have been an extended period, if not a week, even longer, of mourning, maybe professional mourners coming in, meals, honoring this, this patriarch of the family. And so what many commentators believe here is likely what's not happening is Jesus is saying, don't go to a funeral. It's probably this father may have been up in age, but this son is living with this big cultural expectation that he doesn't move into another season of his life before he's taking care of, again, these cultural expectations. So it could be there's immediate need to go to this funeral, and Jesus is saying, come with me. Or it could be, this is what most commentators believe, but that doesn't make it right, is that this guy's just saying, this ain't the right season for me yet, Jesus. I want to be your disciple, but let's wait until my dad dies. Let's settle the estate. Let's take care of all the family affairs, and then I'll be with you. We work with a lot of people, particularly in our missional community, but even in our church, who have faced and struggled with addictions. And we love that. We love that. That's one of the big reasons we're here. But oftentimes when it comes to seeking to want to help people, particularly if we want to refer people out to a program or to some type of extended treatment, is really quickly there come the ifs. Is I'll, I'll go and get help, if I can keep my phone with me the whole time. I've driven people hours to places only to have them leave immediately from a treatment place because somebody said, can I take your phone? People will immediately ask, can I smoke? It's not a bad question. If you're trying to get off other bigger addictions, and this, I hope this doesn't sound on anybody, it's nice to be able to have something <laughs> to keep your body regulated. There's no shame in that. Where the problem comes for, for those in those situations, that's the same problem for all of us in here, because all of us in here, to some extent, have addict in us, is we want to change, but only if we get to be in the driver's seat. Augustine or Augustine, if you're fancy talking... It said that he said this one time, God, make me good, but not yet. Make me good, but not yet. We're, we'll follow Jesus, but I got to be in control. Will we move beyond the crowds? We got to discern this morning. Are you a crowd disciple? Is, is your movement of following Jesus a reflection of what you just feel or see that the crowds are doing on social media? There may be some of you on here who are getting up in the morning. There's nothing wrong with social media. There can be things wrong with everything. But you may be flipping through Twitter to see, okay, what should I be going along with today? Who are my people that I don't want whatever want? And usually it's crazy. There are people you don't even know, right? Who are the people that I wouldn't want to look down on me and think that I was ignorant or out of it? And how can I stay with them? 
Are you a crowd disciple? Others of you may not be social media. It may be some theological tribe or loyalties that you think that you have. And if you're honest, you're not following Jesus. Some of us may be scribe disciples. We're going to follow Jesus. We say we're going to follow Him wherever we go, but we really think we can do it in our own strength. We've not heard the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. We're committed to Jesus if it, if it fits our strength. That's the thing about discipleship, right? Very soon into this journey, particularly if you don't customize it and you get involved with a messy community of people seeking to do it, you're going to get really irritated really fast, really frustrated, really down on yourself, and you're going to want to quit. And Jesus is from the start saying, hey, 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 if you think you can do this in your own strength, you just don't know what's coming. If you think you get, there's a script you can follow, again, I don't think God does this in a cruel way, but how many times have I said never in my life? And I can just imagine the holy laughter of God over me. Standing here preaching by a roller coaster painting, right? <laughs> this wasn't the script. And I could tell you lots of other more serious things that would cause tears and not laughter, honestly. We, are, you, do you, are you saying, I'm going to follow Jesus so I'm going to be able to do this in my own strength? Am I going to follow Jesus if I get to write the script? I'm going to follow Jesus if it's safe. Or are you maybe this other disciple? Your commitment and relationship to Jesus is only as strong as it fits your schedule. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you, but you know i got to do this. Jesus, I know you want me to live this life of discipleship and hospitality and, and community and everyday life, but it just doesn't fit. It's just not the right season for me to take you so seriously. When I graduate from college, then I'll take you seriously. When my kids get just a little bit older, then I'll take you seriously. When I get that next job, when I finish this degree... When I'm an empty nester, let's move the goalpost. Let me do this first. Let me do this first. And Jesus is not saying, I don't believe that our strength, our scripts, our safety, our schedules don't matter to Him. Maybe He's saying they matter to Him more than they matter to us. So this is why He calls us to these expectations for discipleship. So we're going to just track back through these verses again. What does He do? What does He do to the crowds? So if He wants us to be aware of our qualifications, now He wants us to, to be aware of His expectations. He moves from the crowds. So again, we're a church that's all about community, and, and we'll say, oh no, we're Western individualism, boo, 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 or whatever. So, but... There is a healthy individualization when it comes to your experience with Jesus. If your discipleship is not rooted in your own personal relationship with Him, however corny or cliched or overused that might seem to Him, then it's going to be weak. 
If your relationship with Jesus is only as strong as the crowd around you, then you will not be able to say with the Apostle Paul that yes, Jesus is good news to the world, but He gave His life for me. We see here Jesus is moving from the crowds and He's not just talking to crowds or healing crowds, but there's two individual people that He's saying, this is what I'm saying to you. We think of later in the Gospel of John where Jesus is basically telling Peter, hey, you know you're going to die for me in this pretty ex- gruesome way. And, uh, no, yeah, was it John? No, I'm getting it totally confused. Anyway, John and Peter, one and looks at him. Anyway, Lord, I feel shame right now for getting that wrong. Forgive me. But anyway, uh, help me trust that everybody doesn't think I'm an idiot. All right. As, uh, one of them says, I think it's Peter actually, what about me? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. You follow me. See, so many of us in here, we don't want to, we want to say, but what about them? They get to do this too. I want to do it all. And Jesus says, eyes on me, not them. Follow me. So there's this healthy individualization. But to the scribe in verse 20, notice he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is There's a reorientation. That is, he's going to have to say, home might not always look like what I thought it was going to. For Jesus, this may have been some type of homelessness at times, but we know many times He's staying with other people. But His vision of what home would look like would have to be different. And then to the other disciple in verse 22, again we know He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. A couple things. Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. We saw that last week, right? So Jesus loves mother-in-laws. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, baby dedication, right? I didn't just say leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus loves mother-in-laws. He could have walked by that mother-in-law and said, Peter, I got you. We're not going to deal with that. But he said, I see this mother-in-law and I'm healing her and I'm getting her up back in action. Jesus loves mother-in-laws. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is going to go after the scribes and the Pharisees because they use a loophole in the law to not honor their mother and father. Jesus loves the family. But Jesus also has pretty strong things to say. (laughs) Things like, if you don't love me more than your mother and father, sister and brother, kids, parents, you're not worthy of my kingdom. Jesus says when His mother and brothers come looking to Him because He's embarrassing them, and they say, hey, Jesus, family's looking for you. He says, who are my mother and brothers? It's those who do the will of my Father. So we hold these things in tension. Jesus loves mother-in-laws and doesn't want us to use God's Word as an excuse to not care for our biological families. And at the same time, He tells us we must love Him first. We must love Him first. Individualization, reorientation, and I would sum that up to make it rhyme. There's got to be prioritization. 
prioritization. You follow me first, not on your schedule and not in line with your cultural expectations. And I have to make a break with those sometimes. It's not easy. Our missional community was watching the Chosen series last year, and uh, I can't remember the quote exactly, but Jesus looked at one of the disciples who's always questioned, so what are we doing next? Where are we going? How are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? And basically Jesus just stopped him and said something. If you're going to have to know what's happening next all the time, this is really going to be annoying and hard for us all. That's not in the Bible. But man, it really challenged me. If you're going to have to know how everything's going to turn out all the time, this is going to be hard on us all. Now, he was smiling when he said it. I'd like to think Jesus is smiling at me. And I remember that we were saying, what stood out to you in the show? And I was, you know, doing the leading discussion thing, trying to get people involved, waxing eloquent, blah, 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 all that leadery stuff. And, and then everybody went home, and we're cleaning up, and then we get a text or a call, I can't remember, from the foster care system, because we do respite care. And there was this situation where these, these children needed somewhere to go that night because of something horrible that had happened that day. And I didn't even want to tell Cassie that I'd got that text. I was tired. I wanted to go to bed. There's nothing wrong with that. But at least that night, I think it was the Holy Spirit said, do you not remember everything that you just tried to teach that group about? And I wouldn't have probably moved forward, but I remember Cassie and just sitting glorifying her time. Y'all know I usually just say bad stuff about her. Praise the Lord. But anyway, but she said, we need to pray about it. I think we need to stop and pray. And we prayed, and I didn't hear a voice, but the Lord did align our hearts. And we did that that night, and it was very difficult. But only because of God's grace, and I was watching that video that night, and my wife, it was just this invitation from the Lord to be inconvenienced into the unknown, the unscripted, the unqualified, the unexpected. And seriously, the same thing happened while I was preparing this sermon. <laughs> Makes you almost want to believe that the Lord is real and good. So what's He calling you to? into your individual relationship with Him. Again, not at the expense of community. We're going to get to that, but the little unknown stuff. Not just directed by the group think of the day, but what is it going to look like for you to cultivate a real deep, flourishing, communing, individual relationship with Him as Lord? Isn't it great He wants that with you? He knows your name. I heard some other pastor recently talking about how sometimes we, we talk about being a faceless servants, and there's some noble uh, things around that, but he was saying, the, the real good news is he knows your name and he loves your face. 
What about, what's He calling you into the unexpected beyond your strength? To do the things that you just say at the beginning, I can't do this. Let's go. I don't have what it takes. Why don't we try? I don't know how this is going to work out, but yes first, how second? Beyond your sense of safety. We live in a world that's full of fears, and rightfully so. Some, some of you may just right now need to be just dreaming about going to somewhere in the foreign mission field where it is very unsafe. Or moving your lives into communities and neighborhoods in our own country, area, or city that, again, mother-in-law might not like, but you can love her too, right? Everybody can be loved. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk. I'm going to go there. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Some of you families may need to do that. It's the next one. Where do you need to go beyond the cultural expectation? Or it's just like you'd say, well, families like us don't do that. Well, why not? Is that, is that Jesus telling you that? Or, or is it the cultural expectations? It could be Jesus. This looks different for everybody. There's no cookie-cutter response. The legalist in us all wants a list. Jesus isn't giving you a list. He's saying, follow me. Don't worry about them. Follow me. Some of you may need to get a new job. Some of you may need to move to a new place to live. Some of you may need to leave this church and go somewhere else and serve. Jesus is saying in this text, let's just put it all on the table. Open hands. I'm going to reorient my life. For some of you, it may even be in this church. You're like thinking, why would I connect with a missional community? I already have such a, a busy life. Well, again, no legalism here. But is Jesus calling you to reorient your life around being a part of a community of disciples on mission and to prioritize what it means to take the gospel to the least and the lost and the lonely in our city? What would it look like for you to hear Him calling you as He calls these disciples in this text? And to lay down your if, ands, and buts, and me first, and this first. It's not the same for everyone. And what it looks like, but it is the same for all who would be disciples in the call. So our last point, we're going to come to the Lord's table, which we're just going to do from our, from our seats. But Jesus, very clear in this text, wants us to be aware of our qualifications and He wants us to be very clear of His expectations. But I think there's also an invitation here. How are we invited to trust Jesus into this unqualified, unscripted, uncontrolled, and unexpected discipleship? The first thing I want to say is Jesus didn't give this gospel point I'm about to give you right here. Kind of. My impulse, full disclosure, if y'all aren't used to being here, I'm just, I share with you how I'm thinking. So here we go. Is this. 
I want to let you off the hook. (laughs) I don't want you to feel bad. So I want to say something right now that we're all of you out here who are tempted to hang your heads, lift them up. But I don't want to do that in a way that is more grace-filled than Jesus because there's no such thing. If we ever find ourselves being more gracious than Jesus, we've missed the boat. And so to the boat, we didn't put this text up here, but we've got to read what comes next. And we're going to look at it next week. We just don't have time. Do you know what happens in the next section right after this? Jesus calms a storm. There are disciples who follow Him into the unexpected, unscripted, uncontrolled, unscripted journey. And it leads them out onto this water and this big storm comes up and dude is laying down asleep while they're all saying, what's going on? We followed you and you just led us out here into this storm to die. If you follow Jesus like this, you're going to get to that point. If you say, Jesus, I'm going on faith, no qualifications, here we go, you get the script, you got the steering wheel, I'm I'm following you, you're not following me, then guess what? Get ready to get to a point to where you say, what did we do? Why did we do this? Why did I do this? But what Jesus does in that storm is He stands up and He speaks to their little faith and He tells that storm to be still. He brings peace into the middle of the unknown, the unscripted, the unqualified, and the unexpected journey. So one commentator said, we may not look at Jesus looking simply at these disciples, this scribe and this other disciple, and saying, don't you know foxes have holes? Birds have nests? Don't you know you need to love me more than even your family? I think there's some legitimacy to looking at it this way. What if Jesus was looking at them and saying, I'm I'm giving you an invitation to a freedom that you've been longing for your whole life that you just don't get. You're so tied down to the cultural expectations of norms of what it means to live the good life and have safety and security and script and crowds and all of this, and what if I just set you free from all that anxiety? What if I just set you free from that rat race? What if you followed me into the unknown and you learned what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount where the birds don't know what they're going to eat, but their Father provides for them? What if you learned to live beyond that religious scripting, scribe? What if, other disciple, you learned that to love your culture and your family best meant to love me first? Recently, I read an article where one writer referenced another writer. So, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. That's what I'm doing here. And so he referenced... Mo Willems' book, Goldilocks and the Three Dinosaurs. I've not even read that book, so I'm not going to act like I have. But the line that this author quoted this author from, he said, if you find yourself in the wrong story, leave. 
If you find yourself in the wrong story, leave. What is the story your life is a part of and it's telling? Is that the story you want to be in? Some of you are just surviving life. Why? So you can afford a nice vacation? There's my story. I did this, so every year I got to go in the sun. The end. I love, we're going to the beach in October, so don't hear me wrong. Why are you surviving your life? So you don't disappoint somebody? Somebody in your family, your friend group? The Holy Spirit's whispering in your ear, what about this? And you just shut him down? You don't want to disappoint somebody? And so here's your story. My story was, I didn't disappoint so-and-so. Some of you who may be facing addictions or other deep things that you, if you're honest, you may be fighting, but maybe haven't just gave up control and said, I'm not going to be the one that gets to write the script. Some of you may say, well, the hell I know is better than the hell I don't know. And so what's your story? They lived and just stayed in the hell they knew. There's nothing wrong with ordinary life. I'd say it's actually the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Some of you don't have enough margin in your life to grow a garden and share the produce with your neighbors. And you can. It will not come without sacrifice. So we're going to have to be able to trust the person we follow, aren't we? So how can we do that? Well, he's went first. The eternal Son of God, in perfect communion with Father and Spirit, says in John 17, that he moved from the safety of that holy communion, although he stayed within it. And I know all the nuances there of Nicene Trinitarianism. But he came and moved into our neighborhood. And he went where he did not have to go. He reoriented himself in the greatest reorientation in the history of the world to discomfort and to sacrifice because He loves us. And He wants us to be free. Freed from everything we could not be freed from in the law of Moses, Paul says in Acts chapter 13. He wants us to know Him, to follow Him. He prioritized our redemption over His safety, over His popularity, and over the script that everybody that was in his life, even those closest to him at times, wanted him to live into. He said, I'm going to the cross. And they said, you're crazy. Peter said, you're crazy. His biological family said, you're crazy. And he went for us. And he empowers us now through his finished work. 
Because we can know that however much we, if we're honest, have qualified this thing, is He didn't look at us and say, well, I don't want you because you did that. He said, I love you. He died for our sins. He died for the wounds. He died for the lies that hold us back from this life He's calling us to of discipleship. And He's given you His Spirit now to follow Him. And I don't think He wants us to leave today and not hear that. You college students, there's, there's opportunities that we can plug you into locally now. And even when you graduate, we, we can connect you with a program for, for your first two years after you graduate college. You can go and serve on the mission field. We can make that happen and it won't cost you anything. You go through, we, we'll help you work through the progress. There's others of you in here at different seasons of life, and I know you're just trying to think, how do we, how do we even get to sports practices and eat and all that? We're with you, trust me, in the middle of all that. But what might, could you do to reorient and prioritize your life? There's others of you who are, who are, who are singles. There's others of you in here who are married without children. All of us, senior adults, He wants you to keep following Him. Because one day He's going to come back. And the story's going to end with Him saying, Well done, my good and faithful servants. And when we live in that, then that lets us know we're in the right story. We're here at this baby dedication. And again, maybe there could have been a better text, but... Before we take the bread and the cup, I just want to underline there is nothing better that we as a church can do to love these babies and these children than to love Jesus first. But they're not always going to like that. But it will be love. And I think it's going to be the story when all things are wrapped up that we're glad to be a part.